Hello, welcome to this episode of this podcast series based around the chapters of my book, Critical Perspectives on Diversity in Organisations. This time I want to talk about chapter eight, and chapter eight is about multiculturalism. And it's quite different from some of the other chapters in that multiculturalism is a word that has been used in so many different ways. I myself am not a political theorist or a political philosopher, um, but those are the communities of people who've often written the most about multiculturalism. It's quite a daunting term because it has so many political um, and philosophical connotations. And often, as I note in the introduction to this chapter, it's not been used very consistently in studies of management and organizations. We don't often see the word appear that often, or, or if it is used, it was often in the 1980s and 1990s, it was used as a sort of adjective to describe the fact that workforces were becoming multicultural, they were becoming culturally diverse. Um, but obviously there are there's a lot more to multiculturalism than that. I feel like um, researchers are always saying this about all concepts, but multiculturalism is pretty difficult to define. And I go straight to a definition from the very short introduction to multiculturalism, which defines it as policies by central states and local authorities that have been put in place to manage and govern the new multi-ethnicity created by non-white immigrant populations after the end of the Second World War. So obviously there's many other things that people have said about multiculturalism, but that definition seems to me to give a pretty broad insight to how a lot of people understand multiculturalism as a project for society that governments have been involved in, in sort of responding to patterns of immigration that create cultural diversity within a nation state, within a national environment. But of course, from there, you quickly get into racism, globalization, um, all sorts of other potential issues around ethnocentrism, lots of words ending in ism, liberalism, fascism, populism, nationalism, all sorts of ideologies and political worldviews. Um, and perhaps unsurprisingly, a lot of management and organisation has avoided sort of engaging with multicultural discourse at that deeper level. Much, much more likely uh, you are to see use of the word diversity or diversity management. One exception I note early on in the chapter is a paper in, in 1996 from Nemetz and Christensen. And I, th I felt that this paper represented a bit more of an exception because it was a bit more critical in talking about diversity training and formal diversity training um, in acknowledging the majority backlash um, and the idea that, you know, people on diversity training can have negative reactions to multicultural ideas, not very tolerant of cultural and moral diversity or diversity in belief systems. But 
mostly there hasn't been much sustained inquiry into different meanings of multiculturalism in organizational contexts. And so I thought this chapter could be play an important role in drawing attention back to ideas of culture and cultural diversity. So much was written in the 1990s and so many debates about multiculturalism. I really struggle to summarise these debates or clearly represent them. But there's definitely a lot of interesting questions about what a culture actually is, because clearly cultures um, do not have clear structures and boundaries. So it's not easy to generalise about a culture. People get socialised and introduced to cultures in different ways. And of course, cultures change in a myriad of ways and give rise to all sorts of different perspectives. And there's a sort of dubious idea that everybody can share universal values across multiculturalism. But at the national level, it's about unravelling cultural differences that have led to unequal distribution of resources and power and struggle for certain cultural values and ways of life to be accepted without economic and cultural inequality as part of some sort of national identity. And I just don't think organisations are free from that. They're not separate from that. Organisations need to understand how cultures emerge in their own contexts and how they interact with practices, traditions and self-understandings in organisations and how can organisations create a true two-way openness and dialogue between multiple cultures. And so somewhere between relativism, where you say, well, any culture can believe or do anything they like versus universalism, where it's like everybody needs to be adopting some version of the same universal culture. There's a lot going on between those two extremes where multiple cultures are trying to understand each other. And I think since I, since I wrote the book, uh, I have started to see certain voices critiquing uh, diversity expressions that don't really do justice to culture in the way that multiculturalism would encourage us to do. So people say, well, I don't want to be referred to as a BAME or BME minority because my cultural background is much richer than a letter in an acronym or a, or a region of the world summed up by a single letter. So to truly to truly appreciate diversity is in part engaging with the cultures underlying that diversity and i think the multicultural tradition whether you feel um multiculturalism has been a success and i should say at this point many people start off by saying what a failure multiculturalism has been which is also quite a one-sided view um but certainly as a as a sort of project of the state um, many people would argue it's led to a lot of suffering and a lot of a lot of problems to say the least um, and it remains very contested and some 
people would like to abandon the term, probably, but I think that's quite one-sided as well. Um, but what the multicultural tradition offers us is this engagement between cultures and with cultures. When we are thinking about tolerance of cultures, we're thinking about pluralism, we're thinking about uh, what goes on inside cultures as well, not least when it comes to gender and listening to feminist voices within and across cultures. Um, and I do quote some feminist multiculturalism research that talks about women who are threatened maybe from human rights violations within their cultures, what what those women report wanting are several things. You know, they want to be listened to and deliberated with by people from other cultures. They want financial support for women's organisations that they can lead to resist cultural practices within their culture on their own terms. And they want political support from the West and the international community, but support that doesn't assault or attack the other aspects of their culture that are non-harmful. Um, so pitting feminism against multiculturalism is problematic. Um, and there are common forces of patriarchy across cultures. Um, and so you don't want to reinforce post-colonial assumptions about an, any inherent superiority of Western liberal feminism. And then in the 21st century, people have continued to talk about multiculturalism. And I look at some of the later debates uh, as well. Um, it's still about anti-discrimination measures within societies, um, within sectors of our economy and our political institutions around cultural diversity. And there's still a lot of complex debate about what's going on at the national and public level between sort of liberal universal ideals about how we um, integrate cultural diversity, but also many specific debates about local values, customs and practices. So there are lots of theorists looking still at the power of the state, the government, to sort of somehow manage cultural diversity, which remains highly controversial. And so it does involve talking about human rights, justice and, and citizenship. And so I think the important thing for organisations is that like the state and like societies, they are multicultural environments and they have to also think about the liberalism and pluralism that they promote or, or, or work with in their leadership and their organisational culture. And presumably many of us do want culturally diverse workplaces to also be liberal political communities to some degree with practices that will support robust and equal dialogue between culturally diverse worldviews. But diversity management, sometimes the way it's talked about, seems to skim over that a little bit. Uh, and some people would say this is managerial, it's globalist, um, and it, it isn't really engaging with any form of culture at the indigenous or immigrant level where there are issues of integration and social solidarity. We sort of talk quite loosely about inclusion in organisations 
but don't go down to the the sort of multicultural contextual level. So there is, you know, there's considerable ambivalence about the M, the so-called M word, particularly um, how it relates to racism, um, and trying to assess that maybe there have been some areas where there's been multicultural progress in a broad sense um, in terms of cosmopolitanism and valuing ethnic diversity. Um, and there's a sort of everyday multiculturalism as well that people describe, you know, where, where people um, are sharing in public life, they're sharing in a organisational life uh, and a public life that um, on the surface can sort of celebrate um, a history of immigration and, and cultural diversity um, in a national context. But of course, that coexists with beneath the surface, um, very lingering tensions around racism, nationalism, populism and unresolved post-colonial melancholy and, and suffering as well. But maybe the point is to recognise both, that in any given society or organisation, there will be sort of an everyday multiculturalism, but there'll also be a sort of everyday racism as well co coexisting um alongside one another so there's history and then there's sort of business as usual when it comes to to multiculturalism but i think however you define it these tensions themselves are pretty interesting and important to to discuss and ultimately, it's about encouraging communication, recognising that people have dynamic identities associated with their cultural backgrounds, and sort of trying to promote some unity where you're critiquing with great caution, I might add, but there's some sort of diverse critique of illiberal cultural practices. And so multiculturalism has a sort of uh, ongoing status. It's sort of there in the background, but uh, people might not always use the, use the word. So it's hard to reduce it or to make it explicit because of all these debates. But ultimately, it is about finding frameworks where people can live their cultural diversity faithfully and without coercing each other and that some freedoms remain, but there will be open, uncomfortable dialogue between cultures. In the middle of the chapter, I do try and really dig deep and look at some of the work on organisations a bit more closely. And as I say, that it's not always easy to draw precise connections where people don't use the word in a particular way, or they talk much more frequently about diversity. Often it's at the national level, so there is a lot of research that looks at Canada as an example where there have been policies in place and there have been mixed reactions in organisations to those policies um, and those values penetrate the everyday life in organisations. So, for example, in a city like Quebec, you have issues of language use, whether it's French or English, 
And you have these intercultural conflicts, leadership issues, issues around democracy in organisations, and the interpretation of practices and ethical and religious issues at the organisational level. So it's about, I think, drawing out these connections. In some organisations, they may be very apparent. So for organisations that work in the cultural sectors to start with, if you take something like museums, for example, those organisations are inherently involved in representing national cultural heritages um, in a a sort of globalised context where culturally diverse visitors and staff will be engaging with with multicultural issues. The same could be argued of higher education and, and other sort of cultural and political areas of the of the society where organisations are dealing with it a bit more directly. Banerjee and Linstead um, had a very critical paper which raises the important point that broadly multiculturalism is dangerously close to global capitalism and the critique of globalisation is that multiculturalism is a bit of a smokescreen. It, it neglects the local it, it neglects particularly the third world experience um, and that multiculturalism just sort of tries to homogenize th- these this global ideal that really just assimilates things uh, to the West. And similarly, Hubler in uh, 2005 also talks about that multiculturalism is quite superficial um, and true multiculturalism seems improbable or unlikely in organizations because that would mean dealing with difficult issues of race gender and class and really what organizations are about primarily in this area uh, or have been for some time at least is avoiding discrimination lawsuits and simply using some limited available resources to follow popular diversity management practices instead but multiculturalism's always taking place during challenging times or so it seems and I think the picture is mixed sometimes there's a sense of positive um, opportunities and 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 progress but there's also you know as I've said that coexists with difficulties in designing and implementing policies and the sort of fierce competition between political ideologies Um, and organisations may not want to contend with that but I, I think there's a a discussion to be had about the clear role they might be able to play in a given context um, you know where there's a national political and economic context um, and organizations have culturally diverse workforces and values I think the links are quite um, important and then it's engaging with alternative non-Western histories and cultures to avoid diversity management being too American-centric or too Western-centric. And so some papers have looked at Muslim figures from history and principles of peace uh, uh, and community livelihood uh, and forms of of leadership and role modelling from outside Western and American-centric culture. So opening up more to multicultural influences. And from a critical perspective, global dimensions like Hofstadter's dimensions 
do not help us when we're trying to interpret cultures as local, improvised, negotiated um, phenomena. And so I, I look a little bit uh, towards the second half of the chapter at cross-national organizing. Um, and if you, you know, for managers working in global corporations, they have to negotiate with local cultures and improvise and customize their global and local roles and how they engage cultural diversity there. And there is some research on, on, on that how to identify a multicultural basis for a transnational or multinational organization. And then there have also been various case studies of, of extreme political organizations, whether they're Islamo-fascist or nationalist or populist. Um, these sort of often global movements or with nationalist or extreme right-wing elements um these these you know antagonistic organizations when it comes to multiculturalism and cultural diversity have their own organizing dynamics their own networks of resources their own um discourses and values that often conflict with values of peace and and decency and tolerance and and sort of respect and solidarity but then on the more positive side, you also have people working maybe to address issues of, cult, you know, where multiculturalism is failing to provide needed services to migrants or refugees and provide services for refugees uh, from cultures and to empower them in ways that don't make them feel like an outsider. So some organizations are dealing with these issues around the national cultural backgrounds of people who are experiencing disruption from globalization and maybe they're experiencing different subcultures um, and having contact with managers and organizations along those journeys. Some would argue that a lot of this multiculturalism is now post-national that you have NGOs, professional associations and public agencies that don't neatly correspond to a national location or culture. And perhaps at the most radically critical level, there is still this idea that a multicultural organisation is a bit of a fantasy. There's some denial or wishful thinking going on um, that somehow there can be a, a robust liberal democracy or reformed capitalism that will work for everybody, whatever culture they're from. And that, you know, to some degree underlies the idea of a European or a pan-European project. Um, but we see this complex set of nations, communities and multi-ethnic belongings and identities. So I think there's a renewed case for organisation and management research and commentary to engage with uses of the term multiculturalism and interdisciplinary multicultural agendas. Yet another threat is that multiculturalism is simply obscured or reduced to the West versus everything else. Um, and there's a sort of Islamophobic tenor to a lot of multicultural discourse. 
And that's just, I, I, I argue that's quite a crude but seductive way of binarizing cultural difference that um, that ignores a lot of the more nuanced multicultural debate um, that doesn't seek that sort of closure and invites some more authentic forms of uh, uh, integration. So a lot of people still remain ambivalent to multiculturalism and that it partly explains why it hasn't always caught on in how we think about organisations. We prefer to talk about diversity or inclusion. Um, but I think the challenge is not to resolve that ambivalence but to, to explore it and embrace it a bit more um, and to direct it back at multiculturalism itself, which I've tried to do in this chapter, as part of a, a wider history of critical perspectives on diversity but at the same time not detracting from issues of race, racism and inequality as well. So towards the end of this chapter I start looking towards the future and I argue there are several probable directions in which we could continue to look at multiculturalism in terms of how we think about organisations and diversity. Some of it is just playing around with the word itself, multiculturalism. It has so many different meanings um, in today's Western societies, um, it can be used ideologically, it can be used descriptively, and there's often a, a sort of backlash or a reluctance to use it as well. And there's different qualifiers to the word. Some people talk about everyday multiculturalism, for example. Rightly or wrongly, some researchers have argued it's often associated with failure and the idea that it, it sort of disintegrates society which uh, is a bit unfortunate because that really leaves us in limbo we're sort of in post-multiculturalism uh, we're in a state of post-multiculturalism where organizations lack a way of talking about um, recognition of cultural differences alongside other differences but the fundamental problems are the same it's how how do you have multicultural governance and negotiation where you have cultural diversity to actually talk about practices and interactions in populations where people speak different languages, they feel deep connections with different cultures and religious traditions. And some people have even tried to coin new terms like interculturalism, where it's more about civil society and how to cultivate citizens with attitudes and capabilities that allow them and equip them to engage more deeply with cultures other than their own. Other researchers have talked about inclusive solidarity, where multiculturalism is not linked to the welfare state or neoliberal uh, sort of aggressive economic growth, but it's more about participating in building national identity and an inclusive social membership. And I think this is where organisations have a, a, an urgent role to build these bases of inclusive solidarity and a, and, a, and a multicultural national identity, which it seems to become quite tempting to be very cynical about. And some management research is continuing to look at that, about how the East meets the West or the Global North meets the Global South in terms of cultural institutions and geographies. And obviously there are links to globalisation and, and post-colonial uh, and colonial legacies. I also argue that 
continuing to study national and global contexts and how they affect organisations in ways relevant to multicultural debates. So just looking at the properties of, of cultures and how they um, permeate organisations and their multicultural relations. So thinking about the prospects of um, expanded Muslim workforces in the West and sort of uh, an ongoing awareness of Islamic values and inclusion and more imaginative forms of dialogue with heterogeneous aspects of cultures, that within-culture diversity that is so important. And it's full of contradiction. There's a mixed picture always that, you know, people some accept some aspects of, um, uh, you know, living in a multicultural political population, um, but they deny other aspects. They might downplay racism or individualize racism or declare that racism is no longer an issue um, so these tensions coexist that's a recurrent finding ambivalence is a recurrent finding and I think we need to look at that ambivalence in organizational contexts sometimes people they they do want more contact and exposure to other cultures um, but they also may feel skeptical or have negative perceptions around how that's being addressed and then, of course, there will be multicultural crises and events that involve organisations, whether it's refugee, a refugee crisis or, uh, or a political crisis around immigration or terrorism. Uh, these, these issues are profoundly multicultural in some of their implications. Brexit has been um, uh, an, another example of this in recent years. Um, some critical management researchers have described it as a phenomenon in the making um, and that academics need to be a bit more public and a bit more openly critical about how they engage with these debates to do with populism, xenophobia and post-truth politics in the media. It's a bit of a break, a bit of a turning point in the UK and Europe looking at this Brexit phenomenon um, and the liberal left pro-European tradition is sort of entering into uh, a, a sort of complex tension with with um, with nationalist and populist po political agendas. And then I also talk about going right down to the micro level. Um, there's there's been a lot of multicultural research in this tradition, just looking at the foundations of multicultural inter interactions. Often, when we interact with people from multiple cultures, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of humour. There's a lot of uh, encounters going on. There's a lot of negotiation going on and, and sharing of spaces and connections and just trying to understand that. Um, often we talk about cosmopolitanism as a concept here where people sort of um, uh, accept and, and encounter uh, culturally diverse identities in their environments and retain a sort of global openness um, as well so it's this respect and solidarity and tolerance across cultures that that requires i think a bit more uh, attention and this is sort of as i come to the end of this this chapter i think we should be researching these attitudes toward populism immigration political parties religion and other ideologies uh, i think what multiculturalism reminds us is that 
these can't simply be disregarded as not related to the workplace or issues that really don't matter in the global northwest because we can just talk about diversity management. Of course, some people in some organisations are living this reality through the very work that they do. If they work in immigration, dealing with policy, um, they'll be dealing with that bureaucracy, dealing with that political uh, sort of uh, connotation of their work and their own personal convictions. Other workplaces will face and struggle with anti-Muslim discrimination and Islamophobia in employment law cases as well. And what research has shown us there is that workplace legislation on its own is not enough. There should be more moral development and learning uh, encouraged among managers and, and, and in the workplace. Often it's about accommodating different cultural and religious practices with sensitivity. Uh, Organisations often tend to try and do this dispassionately and privately um, they don't want to they don't want it to happen in in the media or in the political arena so they'll try and do it informally and internally um, and instrumentally but whether or not that's particularly successful remains to be seen and then my final point was uh, there are some interesting adjacent fields here that that do continue to look at multiculturalism that's that are worth bearing in mind in research and practice so psychology and international business are a couple of examples Um, typically uh, how we process things from a psychological perspective as we uh, you know sort of incorporate multiple cultural meaning systems into the way we process our work psychologically you can even argue i think that multiculturalism of course can reside within individuals, not just across groups, but to the extent that people combine knowledge, identities, and draw more than one culture. And then in international business, you've got, you know, the sort of belief systems um, of global employees uh, in, in the international work that they do across international structures. So just to conclude in in this chapter, I I have tried to argue that there's a lot of potential of multiculturalism um, and how it sort of interconnects in interdisciplinary ways with organisations and diversity. Um, There are points of connection here. Um, And despite being a concept that is fiercely contested, and often people just talk about multiculturalism's failings and failure, my conclusion is that there are actually opportunities in opening up a vocabulary here that that hasn't been explored as as richly as it might have you know there's a lot to explore here about politics um, national identities states and the role of government policy and different cultural ways of life and weaving those into organizational topics and concerns a bit more explicitly so i say that if multiculturalism Multiculturalism is contested, it is nevertheless also flexible and it has interdisciplinary and reflexive foundations that can be could be drawn upon more. It is beyond organisations as well, it is in society and across society and I think some people will continue to use the term um, but, it, but because it brings this distinct focus and emphasis on cultural identities and encounters. And we can still be critical about how that works. There will be problems with minority struggles for equal recognition in a multicultural 
uh, workplace and in intercultural dialogue but we can we can sort of look at how these things happen in organizational spaces against the backdrop of the values and conflicts of a larger society and again the the research on organizational culture which i've barely mentioned there's 30 years now or more of research on organizational culture and that continues to evolve as well and that doesn't always talk about different ethnic cultural traditions and diversity either so there's lots of potential consolidation and connection here it really is a comparative perspective that encourages us to look at multiple countries and and their policies Um, it's also psychological i also mentioned that there's a a whole school in the united kingdom the bristol school that is still full of influential multicultural theorists and thinkers Um, there's Tariq madud biku parek nasar mir and varun uberoy just to name some of the main figures there and these figures continue to defend multiculturalism in strong social and political terms as a national project and i think those thinkers and theorists could be drawn on to understand multicultural diversity in research and practice in organizations and from a more theoretical perspective as well i think social and cultural theorists are still puzzling over Um, what it means for cultures to coexist and to experience patterns of solidarity and unity or patterns of antagonism and how those those that pluralism is worked through in ways that symbolize multicultural connections and patterns i finish by just noting the importance um, of the relationship between multiculturalism and race um, and how that will remain Um, I think, quite uh, controversial into the 21st century. Cultures can cut across other forms of diversity, but race can cut across cultures um, to highlight the longstanding uh, experiences of racism that we would associate with skin colour and and prejudice uh, across multiple cultures, and also the rising threat of the political right in many parts of the world Uh, in recent years has lent support unfortunately to a view of multiculturalism as in decline or struggling as a progressive political force but these goals of justice integration and citizenship from the multicultural tradition I, i don't think they should be abandoned and i guess my hope is that they can feed back into a lot of the great scholarship on race and white privilege in public discourse um, because you have this observation and, and, and acknowledgement that there's a persistence of structural racism in many areas of public and organizational life. There's fierce denial, backlash and resistance to that as well. Um, and so I think it'll be interesting to see how multiculturalism relates to critical race theory um, and some of the ideas around how multiculturalism remains racialized and embedded in racialized structures um, where the diversity efforts are embedded as well so just to finish i hope that um, multiculturalism as i've discussed it in this chapter can continue to be used um, and acknowledged as something that can be mapped to the historical continuity of racial inequalities and and uh, discrimination uh, as well there
So that's it for this time, and I'll be back ne- next in the next episode talking about chapter nine, which looks at a very different perspective, um, sense making. So the perspective of sense making on diversity and organizations. But thanks for listening to this episode, and I hope you're enjoying this podcast series. <laughs>